Hello and welcome listeners to another episode of Trikai 9, the Story Screen Presents podcast where we talk about two films in any given year that end in the number nine. And we're still combing through the great films of 1999. But without further ado, before we get into the movies that we're talking about today, I am your host for this episode, Bernadette Gorman-White, and I'm joined by my co-hosts. I'm Linda Cadega, and I'm here hanging out with Bernadette and my other co-host. Uh, Diana DeMiro. How are you doing, guys? <laughs> Good. Killing it. Good. Quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first episode that we're recording remotely. Yeah. So it's good to see your faces. Definitely. <laughs> your, your digital visage. So beautiful. <laughs> and uh, we're cheekily calling this particular episode of Trikai 9 Another Day at the Office. Mm. We're talking about two office like themed movies one that came out like towards the beginning of the year in February, and one that came out at the end of the year in December. But first, uh, we're going to be talking about Office Space. So, Linda, would you like to give us a rundown of Office Space? Yeah, I would. So, Office Space um, is a the 1999 cult classic. I'm pretty sure everyone's seen it. Um, it's about how much work sucks. <laughs> it's, uh, and it's sort of, it focuses on, like, this uh, software company in the 90s that's really obsessed with Y2K. Um, it stars... Uh, I believe Ron Livingston is the main male character, and it also stars Jennifer Aniston as the love interest. Um, and then there's like another variety of characters that make an appearance. But basically, uh, Ron Livingston's character um, gets hypnotized to not give a fuck. And after this sort of hypnotism session, he then, like, succeeds just by being cool and casual and confident and just, like, not giving a single shit. And it's pretty fun. Um, And I think that that's all we really need to hear about me from Office Space. It's a very self-explanatory movie. <laughs> um, And everyone has seen it. Yeah. <laughs> it's It's so funny that I feel like every time I watch Office Space, I forget that it's a little weirder than what I give it credit for. That's true. <laughs> but yeah. and then there's the whole like um scamming thing where they scam like three hundred thousand dollars from the company in pennies <laughs> because of like some weird glitch in the code yeah. very funny yeah <laughs> I, I always like about office space that i have worked both of those types of jobs like that jennifer aniston works at like a shitty chain restaurant i have done that and I've worked mm-hmm. in many a weird office, so it's kind of like you forget how painful both of those things are, and then you're like, ah, oh, this is this is a pretty accurate depiction of both of those things. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second film that we're talking about toe-to-toe with Office Space is Being John Malkovich. Diana, would you like to give us a little bit of a rundown Woo! on Being John Malkovich? I know, I was just pulling that up on uh, on IMDb, but um, I think the better question is, can you? Well, <laughs> the, the like, very succinct um, 
summary on IMDb is just a, a puppeteer discovers a portal that leads literally into the head of movie star John Malkovich, uh, which is the short version of that. But yeah, it's a Spike Jones directed Charlie Kaufman written film. So if you've seen any other Charlie Kaufman, you know, they're they tend to be a little out there. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Eternal Sunshine. Um, I think the most recent one I saw was Anomalisa, which was like the stop motion animation movie. I saw that at Downing when it first came out. Um, but even Adaptation is like another really bizarre one that he's done. But this film is like a really funny, scrubby looking John Cusack and equally frazzled hair Cameron Diaz. And they're like a <laughs> this like couple that is sort of down on their luck. He's out of work and he gets a job that is very cryptic that he finds a posting for. Um, and his experience as a puppeteer, he ends up going into doing filing work and at this weird office that's in between two different floors. <laughs> the movie's just really strange, but he finds this door behind a filing cabinet that goes into John Malkovich's head. And then, yeah, we take it from there. <laughs> I, I, so I, I oof, all right, deep breath. Um, <laughs> Linda had never seen this film right. until yes. this podcast. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I literally saw it yesterday. Um, I don't think I'm smart enough for that movie. I think you're just fine. I think you're not supposed to get everything on the first viewing. It's a definite, like, what the? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, yeah. All right, cool. Cool, I cool, cool. I feel like every time I watch it, I understand it more yeah. than the last time I watched it. Yeah. So if that helps. <laughs> it, also, it does help. It had been a pretty long time since I've seen it, and I think I didn't remember how good or bad certain people looked in it like i was like wow Catherine keener is a fox in this movie and i didn't remember thinking that she was all that young when i saw it because i was much younger when i saw it so it's pretty funny to watch now but i love like the kind of long hair balding like not very attractive looking john cusack and then later john malkovich when it's sort of like he's taken over he kind of just becomes this version of him so it's pretty good so weird yeah and cameron diaz is really good very good <laughs> surprisingly good right? you're like she's a good actress like, what happened to her yeah you, you're just reminded once again this is like man women really get shafted in hollywood <laughs> fuck where is she I did read a lot of, uh, like, little movie facts about being John Malkovich after watching this again in preparation for this podcast. Mm -hmm. And apparently Cameron Diaz wasn't made aware that she was kind of supposed to be unrecognizable in this movie. Ah. So when people were, like, talking about her role in reviews and they were saying, you know, like, an unrecognizable Cameron Diaz, she didn't realize that that was kind of the point of putting her in that frazzled hair. Interesting. And those overly large clothes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, how could you not know that they were trying to, like, make you look frumpy? Yeah, totally. It seems very strange. But I like it because it means that she just, like, disappeared into the role. She does such a good job. Herself. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's one of those actors that – um and especially, I feel like female actors definitely get this a lot more than men do, where they're sort of like, 
oh, that's Cameron Diaz. She She's hot. She does that one thing. It's cute. Um, and I don't feel like men and male actors really get that, you know? Um, it's one of those things, like, Leonardo DiCaprio is, like, still making, like, tons of different weird movies, and so is, like, Brad Pitt, but they're not necessarily in that same, like, well, what happened to Jennifer Aniston? Why isn't she making movies anymore? Hmm. Yeah. It just never really happened. Yeah, it's a bummer. And yes. especially... It just cracks me up that this movie came out the year after There's Something About Mary. Oh, yeah, totally. God. So this, what it a great follow-up to that movie. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you think you know us, you know somebody. And then they play a character named Lottie. Yeah, she shines. <laughs> she, so, she does. So weird. But All right. Yeah, to, to get into, like, the first question that I have for you two... Questions. questions. Oh my gosh, we get to answer questions. <laughs> I only have like a few written down, but I feel like these questions will branch open a lot of other tangents. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, my first question is, how do you feel these two films deal with professional dissatisfaction? Ooh. How do they do it similarly and how do they do it differently? Well, I would say definitely... For similarities, they do really kind of like nail some of the minutia and like boredom that is consistent in both of them, like how like depressing and gray and drab the office culture is and how I love how Catherine Keener's working by herself, but really at any given point in the day, she's like just bullshitting on the phone to somebody. She's not really working. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Like the that coupled with like Ron Livingston later on talking to the Bobs and he's like, yeah, I'd probably do about 15 minutes of work a week. In reality, I just kind of zone out at my desk for a while. Like there's so much truth in both of those scenarios where you're just like, yeah, they're they don't they're not really working. (laughs) It's just like you don't have to have an eight hour work day. You could probably get by with like six. (laughs) It's just like, come on. <laughs> so I do love that because I, it's like kind of depressing, but comically so for both movies. Like when you step out of the elevator, or when he's like, you know, going up to reach the door and he gets electric shocked, you're just like, oh yeah, no, that's that's accurate. <laughs> like it's just, this sucks. Yeah, I think I think for me, it's kind of interesting that both of these films are trying to look for solutions to that problem. Mm -hmm. Like, they're trying to figure out ways to, how do we deal with the fact that, like, work is terrible and capitalism sucks and none of it is really necessary. And, like, one of them sort of goes into the whole, I don't give a fuck. And the other one um, diverges into a very surreal exploration of, like, celebrity and capitalism and power but i think at the end of the day both of these films are looking for ways in order to ways to make everyday's everyday life bearable right um but i think it's also like can a movie do that can a movie do that can Mm. a screenwriter like actually like write that kind of movie that like makes the slog of a nine to five at an office job, like really like find a solution to that. 
you know? Yeah, I don't, so I don't think like, they do. It's no. it's just a distraction. It's not um, it's not solving the issues that are at each place. It's just like, oh, you want to be someone else? Here's this alternate chance to do that. Or, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, um, I'm angry. I'm going to set the office on fire. You're just like, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of... So it's kind of an interesting thing to me to think about, like, the way that they deal with, like, not only the reality of the workplace, but the the way that we use escapism in the workplace. But yeah, I think for me, both of these films are about, like, trying and failing to find solutions to the nine-to-five. Yeah, I definitely fall right in between, or I should say I identify pretty heavily with both of our leads. Because Ron Livingston's character in Office Space, he just says that he wants to do nothing when he's asked, like, well, if you could have a perfect job, Peter, what would you do? Right. And he was like, I don't want to do anything. Yeah. I would be happiest if I could just do nothing. (laughs) Which, especially right now, I'm feeling that. Right. Big time. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. Oh, my God. (laughs) But I also really strongly identify with uh, Jonathan Cusack's character, Craig, and being John Malkovich, where he would only really be happy if he's famous or if his Mm. artwork is recognized. Doing the art isn't enough. It's the recognition he needs to feel successful. And I kind of feel that way, too. Like, whenever we put out a podcast or whenever I write an article, it's like, Oh, man, that's just not getting as many clicks as I would like to see. But I enjoy, like, writing and I enjoy making the podcast. But then afterwards, because of this culture that we've created where likes and shares are so heavily respected, it's kind of like, oh, man, I wish maybe, like, four more eyes would have seen this article. Or, like, oh, man, the clicks are the same this week as they were last week. I getcha. So I heavily identify with both of these main characters part of me like wants to really rise to a certain level Mm. in order to achieve happiness but then Mm -hmm. another part of me is like i kind of like just being myself and not really worrying about anything (laughs) (laughs) oh my god what did you um what did you isn't that what happens when we have like this like you said this sort of like content creation like you have to constantly be productive and people have to like recognize you and like what is the value of like just sitting and doing something but then like just sits there like you might as well have just never pressed publish (laughs) it's rough it is rough yeah but I think it's one of those things where um, in being John Malkovich, like, it sort of takes that desire and makes it into, like, this really super surreal, super unachievable vision of work. Like, it, it's sort of in at the same way that, like, office space is supposed to be about the 9 to 5 workers being John Malkovich has this sort of idea that, like, you're never going to be a celebrity, dude. You're just never going to do it. Like, anything that you try and do, you just got to be your best and, like, you got to do what makes you happy. But, like, even when he is, like, John Malkovich as a famous puppeteer, he's not, like, actually – it doesn't sound like he enjoys himself. Like, it's just spinning the wheels. He's, you know, he's he, definitely he just, like, more of a glasses-half-empty kind of character, for sure. Yes. Right. Yeah, because you're sort of like, oh, you're you're in a loving marriage and, you know – maybe not ideal scenario but he's like never quite satisfied with what he has 
And he doesn't have any qualms, it seems like, about hurting Cameron Diaz's character to get to Catherine Keener. So it's kind of ridiculous when she chooses Cameron Diaz instead. You're kind of like, oh, okay. (laughs) Slap in the face, you know? (laughs) So, But I definitely kind of identify with the idea of, of sometimes wanting to be someone else or experience what that would be like just for a short period of time. Even if you're like, no, I, I'm okay with myself, but it'd be cool to see what that would be like, you know? Oh, yeah. To, to briefly touch on your point with her choosing, Maxine choosing Lottie yeah. at the end instead of Craig. This was mm-hmm. like the first time I think I've ever watched it where I was like, man, Lottie, like you can do better. Yes. Like, Lottie, go do better. I think every other time I've watched it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a great ending. Yeah. But this time I was like really angry. <laughs> well, because she ends up with her. You kind of don't really understand why she would choose Craig in John Malkovich's body for the long term. Like, you're like, oh, okay, she tries it out. But like, yeah, she decides like they're going to stay together and she's going to have a baby with him. Like, what? <laughs> like, it, that changes my perspective of Catherine Keener's character so much. Like, at first, you're just like, this woman's whack. <laughs> yeah, she seems very like power hungry. Yeah. And just the idea of success and the idea of making money by using Craig. I can see that it's very duplicitous. Yeah. But yeah, it's like very disappointing. <laughs> to to <laughs> see her just feel be like, we're all in. <laughs> yeah. I also feel like that ending and like the way that they, they maneuvered the relationships, specifically like that same sex relationship in that film. I was like, this was written by a man. Oh boy, howdy. Was this written by a dude in the 90s? Um, it's just like, it's just heavy handed and it's like, it's not handled well but i think i agree with you guys where i was just like i guess this is filmmaking i guess this is cinema but at the same time it just felt it felt very much like ending other anything ending that film with anything other than like a marriage or a happy ending or like some like a couple together um just would not have fit into hollywood at that time and i almost feel like because of that pressure to have that like kind of surprise lesbians ending um yeah it just it just didn't make it feel genuine it felt like very constructed in a way which i think is what you guys were getting at with when it said like Catherine Keene's character wanting to be like famous or attached to something or someone else in order to like achieve a goal um, so yeah, I don't know. It just it didn't. It felt very insincere. Like the ending of being John Malkovich felt much more insincere and like flat than Office Space. Like in Office Space, there's like a catharsis. Like things actually like do explode and stuff does like kind of change. But in being John Malkovich, it really felt like. And they all went about their lives, and they hated each other forever. The end. I don't know. I Well, I, I think we're meant to think that they're a happy couple at the end with their child. But then, like, that, um, you know, that idea that they're going to take over the kid's body eventually is, like, lurking. And then the idea that he, Craig is 
already in there and it's just like yeah it's just like a whole bunch of weird levels of shit so i mean i think that that's the intention is that you think they they are happy but then knowing that they really aren't going to be able to stay happy (laughs) regardless because you're just sort of like oh there's always going to be somebody else's influence in there there's going to be like 10 old people in there which is just a hilarious concept of him being like, we like you. We're going to bring you and all of our friends. And I'm like, what? <laughs> How does that even work? Like, you guys just take turns. It, everybody watches it like a movie. I don't understand. Like, is there government inside of the body? Like, who decides what happens? What is the society like? Yeah. Where do you go pee? Yeah. And then what happens if you're if you're an old man and you're taking over like a teenage girl's body like what how's that what it's not good <laughs> or they yeah, do they have to wait for, for them to turn 40 every time like yeah so there's definitely like a weird lore to the whole thing that is confusing and yeah this was the first <laughs> time that I watched it with the sense of like oh possibly what they're alluding to with people just traveling from body to body is like the sense of generational trauma Ooh. that happens in these families. Huh. And that's a really that was like a, a read I never had before. Because yeah, you're right. Like the whole idea of like, this girl seems very, very happy right now at seven years. But in, you know, 30 odd years time, it's going to go really haywire for her. Totally. She's going to cease to exist. Yeah. So... I don't know. Well, I love that interpretation. I think you're giving Charlie Kaufman way too much credit. Probably. You're doing a lot of work <laughs> for him. <laughs> you know? I think I can I see think, that. You know? But I will yeah. say, too, that this was the first time that I had watched this film because I feel like I'm much more well-informed than I was back in high school of, mm-hmm. like, trans issues. Mm. And the fact that she says, I think I'm a transsexual – in the beginning of the film, right, which Linda, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. transsexual means that you actually do have a gender dysphoria and you do want to seek reassignment. Much stronger than saying I'm transgendered. Transgendered is more all encompassing of a bunch of different aspects, but I know transsexual also has room for a lot of different subsets of being transsexual. Yeah. But- yeah, in general, um, transsexual is considered a, a very dated term. Yes. And transgender is sort of the more, like, accepted term. Transsexual is sort of what they used when they didn't really understand gender, and they was very essentialist and more like, do you have the bits and bobs that you would like to have? Um, so, yeah, transsexual, like, at that time did mean um, a very bo- a very specific, like, bodily definition but it's very um it's very fraught at this point um but yeah i think the easier the easier explanation for for um cameron diaz's care lot lot in that film is a trans transgender dysphoria and like transgender feelings is definitely like an easier way to navigate that yeah she definitely says that she's like never felt more herself than yeah. after the experience of being in John Malkovich's body. So it's kind of, I mean, I feel like they do at least attempt to like give that some validity because she tells Craig, she's like, you know, if I still feel like this, I think I'm gonna 
look into gender reassignment surgery and like all you know she's in and then you're sort Mm -hmm. of like what is Catherine Keener's motivation it's very different because she's attracted to Lottie but only through the gaze of John Malkovich It's it's sort of like a weird complicated thing for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think if anything at the end what falls flat for me is that they've completely thrown away that entire exploration right by seeing these two women at the pool together seemingly very comfortable which is great cuz I want these people to be comfortable. Right. But it's like they completely abandoned that line of exploration. Right. Cuz I mean she can they lost- she can be attracted to Catherine Keener still but does she still identify as a woman is she still feeling good about that? You don't know. So yeah. I do it love loses- the line where she tells Craig to suck her dick. Yes. That's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. <laughs> I also I mean, I think I think it sort of boils down to the kind of like what I said earlier where the ending kind of falls a little flat. Like it loses that nuance where where like Catherine Keene's character, Maxine, is like has that differing like gaze expression and then like the gender exploration and then they're just like turns out they're lesbians. Who knew? Right. Who who could have guessed? Yeah. Um but yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that like that the lack of depth there is kind of what I was responding to when I said like the the ending doesn't work for me, you know? Um but I think you're right. It's the fact that like they spent the whole movie like building up this weird exploration of identity and expression and then at the very end they're just like they're just happy. They're just they're just in love. Don't worry about it. They have a kid, it's fine. Family. Yeah, maybe I mean, it would have taken too long to further explore that in the last, you know, 5 minutes of the film, and I get that too. That's true. But yeah, it was a very different viewing for me this time, for sure. Hmm. Yep. But uh After focusing on the end of Being John Malkovich, I wanted to talk about the beginning of Office Space, where they're all in their individual cars. I love it. (laughs) And um, I just, I think this movie, it just like came out at a perfect time for it with like all of the cultural appropriation that kind of happens, especially with the Michael Bolton character. Yeah. But it's like very heavily masked with Mm -hmm. in the car and i just love that like the movie is predominantly rap music i do too actually because i mean i definitely uh have friends like that and listen to a lot of hip-hop growing up but it's it, it is kind of a funny weird dichotomy of like the appropriation of being like hard or being a thug (laughs) it's just like yeah no computer white boy you are not a thug but that's cool that you like this music (laughs) it's so funny i mean everyone should be able to enjoy music but it is really a funny idea like that sequence of him like turning the volume down or checking his door checks and locking the car you're just just like like rolling yeah yeah you're just like no dude so wild Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's part of that that is appropriative, but I think there's also part of it that's just, like, 
being able to enjoy what you want to enjoy and like being able to like it's i think it's one of those things where it it sort of relates back to being john malkovich and like it's wish fulfillment like it's fantasy it's very much just like living another life living in someone else's head and, and like music is often described as being able to transport you and like give you that kind of energy so the fact that we're like starting off this film where people are automatically trying to escape who they are um is pretty telling for what happens in the rest of the story i always think about too like when you're in the the safety of your own car you know because it it could be any kind of music and just be like yeah i'm gonna sing at the top of my lungs because i'm in my car and you're rocking out or it could be like you could be screaming and swearing at another person in their car (laughs) you know and like be angry at traffic and it's just kind of like that that safety before they are being publicly viewed and judged by their office peers (laughs) It's like that last reprieve before you get in there and you're like, "Uh, okay, have to behave now. (laughs) Yeah, I will say whenever I'm driving to work, it makes my day, especially if it's on the way in instead of the way out and going home. I love seeing people sing in their car. It just like brings me such joy and I hope people will see me singing in my car (laughs) and it brings them as much joy as it brings me. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I know. And I, I also. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say in like pre there being a lot more Bluetooth and just like general stuff on speaker too. I used to just I would it would always crack me up to see people talking in their car and not really sure if they're talking to themselves or to someone else and realizing how much people use their hands. And you're like, hey, um, you're driving. Keep those on the wheel. <laughs> ten, oh, and two, sure. ten and two. Ten and two. Well, Diana, you mentioned it briefly, and we've been talking about, like, the idea of hypnotism, and both movies do this in very different ways. Um, Overall thoughts, not even necessarily about the films themselves, what are your views on hypnotism? (gasps) That's such a good question! (laughs) Diana, what are your views on hypnotism? Not a believer. I've gone to a few, like big group performance type stuff where I feel like you have to really be on board for it to work. I've never had a one-on-one or smaller experience where I feel like I could be tempted to believe it's true. I guess maybe I'm just not open to it, so I don't feel like it's that effective. I would try it maybe, but I don't know. I haven't had any positive where I've been like, yeah, they're they're making chicken noises because they're really hypnotized. No, <laughs> just like I've I've seen like some people on stage in some scenarios, but I've always been like, are they playing along? Or I'm not totally sure. So I don't know. What are you thinking, Linda? Um, I don't know. I have like mixed feelings about it, just because like so many people, because like hypnotism, like. I agree with you. In general, it feels like very, very fake. But there's also like a part of that where it's just like very psychological. Sure. And like there are plenty of people that have like very deep therapeutic moments while being psychoanalyzed while in like a very specific like hypnotic state. I don't know what to tell you. It's weird. 
Um, but like, I think you're right. Like the sort of magicians that kind of like tarred it up are not really, that seems weird. But then I also think of like the weird, weird bullshit that happens in like big, like big religious, um, tents and like tent revivals and stuff like that where people like genuinely are like overcome by the the psychological need that they have right to like connect with something so i don't know like i'm a little bit more i'm definitely very very skeptical but i'm also like a little bit more open to to just being like maybe i don't know yeah i'm not i'm not opposed to the idea that it works for for people but I don't, but I feel suspect that I think it would work for me. I just haven't had any instances where I've felt like, other than like, you know, trying to meditate or like listening to music in a repetitive way or sounds where you feel like you've kind of gotten into a hypnotic state. I understand that. But like, just for my- This is the story screen. Yeah. ASMR. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna peel this grape. Yeah. So this is me rolling dice for an hour. (laughs) Welcome to Story Screen ASMR. (laughs) Yeah, I'll say too that I've also never had any personal one-on-one experience with being hypnotized. I think the closest that I can say that it may or may not work, but it might work because. I think generally when I wake up and if I feel like I'm in a funk, if I don't like tell myself at the beginning of the day, like, all right, just get out of this funk. Like, let's just go and like kind of pretend we're having an okay time. And then usually (laughs) I have an okay time. It's like tricking yourself out of your funks. Yeah. Or like Mm -hmm. if you wake up and you're just like, this is going to be a good day. And if that's a repetitive thought you have. Totally. It usually ends up coming true. No, there's there's definitely some truth to that for sure. So if I'm into that, maybe I could be susceptible to hypnotism. (gasps) Who knows? (laughs) Susceptible. All right, Diana, we have to learn hypnotism now. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, I just have uh, one little cool random fact. And then I just have one very brief aside uh, thing to say Mm -hmm. about being John Malkovich. And then we can kind of wrap this up. But one cool fact that I read about today is that in the film Adaptation, which is written also by Charlie Kaufman, starring Nick Cage right. playing Charlie Kaufman, right. there is a moment where they talk about the making of being John Malkovich. Oh, yeah. And when they go into like behind-the-scenes footage, Ron Livingston, who is the lead in Office Space, plays John Malkovich's agent. Oh, I didn't remember that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> or no, Charlie Kaufman's agent. But, so yeah, like it's all like very like intertwined. It's that's a fun like little random fact. I know. I, I definitely thought about watching that movie as well after after watching Being John Malkovich. Yeah, Charlie Kaufman is a weird taste, but yeah, it's a particular ride for sure. <laughs> oh, He's definitely. Very strange. <laughs> And then my last thing um, is like a very deep connection is when I watched Get Out for the first time, I could not help but think it was like heavily, heavily inspired by being John Malkovich. Oh. And for both of you guys, especially Linda, who has just now seen this for the first time, what do you think about the connections? Do you think Get Out was a almost like an homage to being John Malkovich? They have such similar themes and Catherine Keener is in both. Ooh, yeah. 
I think <laughs> I think that's an interesting take, and I definitely think that you can justify it. But I think that Get Out is such a culturally different film that it's hard to imagine that it's an homage. Um, just because of the, the way that it's set up and the way that like the different power structures are put in place. Um, yeah, I see what you're saying and I think that's totally valid and I'm sure that like maybe, um, oh gosh, who directed Get Out? Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele. Yeah. I got there. <laughs> I'm sure that like Jordan Peele would probably be able to tell you like, yeah, you know, there's a little bit here and there, but I think for me as a white person, I'm not. I can't remove culture from Get Out in a way that would allow me to compare it to being John Malkovich. But there's definitely um, similarities in both in the ideas of just straight up appropriation. Because like, like definitely of the ideas of physically taking over a body, taking over culture, taking over a gender identity, like that yeah, yeah those are common themes so it that's really for interesting sure. that makes me want to rewatch get out for sure yeah it's Doesn't just they both heavily scary. feature it, like it is scary. old white people wanting to live forever Woo, right and so they constantly keep getting passed down from body to body and then i also just really like that at the beginning of being john malkovich when he's doing his orientation Mm-hmm. There's like this very like poorly shot video that he's watching. <laughs> yes. And then in Get Out, that's something that happens to the main characters. He watches this poorly made video. That's true. Of like what's happening to him and how it's going to happen. Right. It's just like really cool. I like seeing like the little bits of mirroring in these films. Definitely. Honestly, you should write that essay because I'm. I think that would be super fascinating. I may. Mm. You should. Mm. I'm into that. <laughs> It can be a companion piece to this podcast. You should do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do either of you have any last thoughts before we close out this episode? I have one thought, and I wanted to sort of mention humor in both of these films, because we really haven't, haven't spoken about it a lot. But, like, both of these films are very weirdly funny. Oh, yeah. Like, they're hilarious films, and I think it's it's interesting that we're talking about, like, office politics and, like, the the influences of, of horror and, like, the weirdness of all of it. But, like, at the same time, like, these films are stupid and they're so funny. Office Space is a stupid film. <laughs> I, I definitely, I mean... <laughs> and we love it. Yeah, I mean, Office Space is Mike Judge, and when you think of, like... He also did Beavis and Butthead. You're like, you know, just like the the level of humor is pretty great. And I definitely rewatched that way more often than being John Malkovich. But yeah, just like the <laughs> them destroying the printer, copier, fax machine, and then like being drunk, dancing so around good. to their apartments. And they're all ridiculously bad dancers. And it's awesome. And you're just like, oh, it's, it's okay. so good. It's okay. <laughs> or that they both love kung fu. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> like, that's cute. the one time that pickup line worked. I know. I was like, that's <laughs> like, really weird, but also awesome. <laughs> or, you know, going into the other chain restaurant and her being like, oh, I like their uniforms. This place is really nice. And it's all just like, it's all relative because you're like, no, they're all shitty. It's just they're different types of shitty. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but that's all I wanted to say. These films are funny. 
Big time. Yeah. I, I also always wonder kind of now on rewatch, like I'm like, oh, now he's working construction, but that's a new job. He may get sick of that eventually too. Who knows? When your dream is just staying home doing nothing. <laughs> Any job is still a job. So, <laughs> but I kind of identify with that because I always kind of go back and forth between like wanting to be outside and having a more physical job and then having some stability and more money. <laughs> so taking an office job and then, you know, the grass is always greener with whatever you're not doing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it also seems like he's very content in that construction job because he is shoveling away the remains of the job that he hated. Totally. So it's like on the next job, is it even going to be fun for him anymore? Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, cool. I'm glad we got to talk about these two movies. Thank you so much for both joining me Yay! to talk about these. Thank you for your insightful questions, Bernadette. I'm You're not going to hypnotize you in your sleep when we next see each other. Stirring my teacup. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, man. You're right. <laughs> it's all coming together. <laughs> but yeah, uh, thank you, listeners, for listening to this podcast. We love doing these. We're going to be putting out a few more of these fairly soon, I'd assume. Uh, we'll be releasing information on those in the next few months. Um, feel free to check us out everywhere, but seriously, the main hub to help support StoryScreen is at storyscreenbeacon.com. You can find information about our $5 subscription model. You can find where to follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And we have great merchandise. We have great articles, reviews, and podcasts. And now you can get extra articles, reviews, and podcasts if you subscribe. And we have a digital theater there as well. So feel free to help support the theater by streaming a few movies. Yeah, there's, our site. there's some good movies on there right now. I just watched a few. Yeah, I've actually Absolute been like bangers. majorly slacking oh, no. with watching those. Yeah, so. I, I got to watch some more. But the couple that I've watched have both been really good. <laughs> yeah. High praise. <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for now. And we will catch you next time. Bye. 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 Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. Malkovich! Malkovich. Malkovich.